And welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. OTA number one in the books. Pat Shermer spoke to the media a short while ago. We'll recap some of the highlights from practice. We'll go over what Pat Shermer had to say. And we'll get to your phone calls. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. So Pat Shermer addressed the media after practice. And he said that Odell Beckham right now, they're taking it slow, Paul, which is understandable because they want him to get fully healthy and they're not looking for him to re-aggravate anything. We saw him work out, took part in some individual drills, and looked to be moving okay from what we've seen. Yeah, he did about 20 minutes at the start of the session, which involved all the stretching and the calisthenics and the warming up stuff. And then he did the individual drills where the quarterbacks are just throwing to the receivers one-on-one without having any defensive necessarily uh, impedance involved. And I'll be honest with you, he was fluid. He looked excited. He looked energetic. He looked smooth. Uh, he did some cutting. Zigzagging. Did, did, yeah. s- did some, you know, horizontal movement. And you know what? That's another step in the right direction for him. Because as you may remember, Lance, the last time he was here when they had the voluntary minicamp, he was not allowed to cut. He was on the backfields with the trainers, just doing some straight sprints, doing, you know, a few calisthenics, limbering up but nothing to the degree where he would actually run any routes or do any type of change of direction stuff. That we saw this morning, and that's a good sign. It's a sign of progression and a step in the right direction as they tried a near training camp to maybe get him on the field with the pads on and And, so forth. And then they held him out for the rest of the practice session. Once, obviously, they get into team-oriented type of drills. So, you know, first hurdle cleared. With respect to the offensive line, Pat Shermer spoke about Nate Solder and what he's brought to the mm-hmm. team and also the fact that you know he and Eric Flowers, as they were walking off the field from practice, there was a lot of interaction between the two. And I know a lot of people were anticipating when Flowers shows up, you know, how would he look at his perhaps battle at the right tackle position? And the two of them seem to be chatting it up both on and off the field. Well, I don't think there's any question that one of the things the Giants tried to do is like, Make sure I don't knock off that bottle of water from yes, the table. That would be priority number one. <laughs> um, one of the things that Soldier was brought here to do, in addition to be the stalwart at left tackle, was to also bring some of that Patriots professionalism, if you will, into the offensive line room because he's been there, he's done it at a very high level uh, out of a program that we all respect as far as NFL people are concerned. And so, you know, if he can kind of be a big brother, if you will. You know, let's face it, Bobby Hart was Eric Flowers' best friend on the team and in that room. If Nate Soldier is going to take it upon himself, whether or not he was instructed to do so, to try to show Eric Flowers the guiding light, that can only be a positive for the Giants. And if Flowers is going to be receptive to it and not only be a better player on the field, but also a better guy in the locker room and help out some chemistry with that offensive line, the Giants can only appreciate what that might bring to the table. As far as the rest of the offensive line, Will Hernandez got some reps with the first team at left guard, Patrick Omame as well, and this is no surprise, Paul. They're going to mix and match players until they get to the point where they feel they have found the best five in the ideal combination. Yeah, we saw a little bit of feistiness out of Hernandez against B.J. Goodson. Yes. Uh, Two young guys. Yeah, for just a moment there, but nothing, uh, nothing you know, to be spoken of in that there's no contact in these OTA drills. So it was just a little bit of like uh, a little abrasiveness. Well, because sometimes guys get the itch to 
you know, perhaps embrace the physicality even though it's not allowed within the OTA period. Speaking of young guys, Eli Apple is going to speak to the media a little bit later on today, but Pat Shermer was asked about Eli Apple. And mm-hmm. once again, what Shermer emphasized is clean slate for everyone. And he said that when he addressed the team, he made that clear, Eli Apple included. And he said Eli Apple's been here every single day. He has been engaged in the activities. And anything that Pat Shermer may have heard whispers when he wasn't here, he is not seeing any of that in terms of how Eli Apple has conducted his business. No, and in fact, Eli Apple will be addressing the media with a short media briefing uh, momentarily. Uh, What can you say? He's been out there doing everything they've asked him to do. And quite frankly, much like last offseason, he's looked pretty good. From what you could tell He seems confident, assertive. He has the skill set. We already know that from his rookie season. So, you know, all that needs to be corrected, if you will, with Eli Apple is stuff that's not visible on the practice field. And only time will tell if that's going to be the case once the Giants get to training camp and then the preseason and the regular season. But right now... The guy's skills have clearly not diminished. I mean, he's a young player who's entering his third NFL season. Why should they? It's a show-me league. So, you know, guys are not going to really make the true statement until we get on the football field and embrace the physicality and actually get involved in games. But right now, obviously, the coaching staff is monitoring these players and making sure that, you know, everybody is following protocol and keeping themselves engaged within the program. In terms of some of the highlights from today's practice, the quarterbacks alternated, which is no surprise. You have Eli Manning. You have Davis Webb. You have Kyle Oletta. You also Alex Tanny, who we talked about on previous shows. Tanny was running 13, by the way. Loletta was running fourth. Davis Webb threw a really nice ball down the right sideline to Khalif Raymond. He could not hold on to it. But, you know, from what Pat Shermer said, and he's always been asked about Davis Webb because this narrative is never going to end, no. said that he's been continuing to show progress and he looked good today. But once again, and this is important to emphasize no matter how many times we talk about all the quarterbacks, you can only take so much away during individual drills. Correct. Okay? This is not necessarily the end-all, be-all, and a sign of what's yet to come, a sign of what yet is going to improve moving forward. It's simply slight progression day in and day out. That's all it is. Uh, for me, the play of the day was Davis Webb's 50-yard bomb down the left sideline on a fly pattern to uh, Roger Lewis. Uh, could not have been put any more perfectly. And... Uh, you know, he had the nice throw to Raymond, which Raymond yeah. could not hold on to. That's on the receiver, not on Davis Webb. Webb was extremely sharp today. He looked really, really good. Uh, but then again, he usually does. Uh, so that was not a surprise. Other plays of the day for me, uh, B.J. Goodson over the middle, deflecting an Eli Manning pass and coming up with the interception. Uh, that drew a lot of rave reviews from his fellow teammates who applauded and yelled and screamed rather loudly. And by the way, it was a loud-spirited OTA practice. A lot of energy out there. For guys who, you know, are basically going through the motions. I mean, that's what OTAs well, are. Well, you would hope to see that. It's OTA number one. That is true. <laughs> if they don't have the energy today, Paul, I think we're all in trouble. Then there was another tip pass by uh, O'Malley, who was one of the uh, guys competing. Ryan O'Malley trying to compete as a backup tight end. He tipped the ball and a really nice job uh, intercepted by Chandler. He's a uh, free agent rookie out of Temple. Uh, who has quite a a story and has come back from a lot of adversity in his career. Anyway, he wound up, I'm trying to find his first name now. I'm forgetting what his first name is. Chandler, Chandler, Chandler. I'm forgetting his first name. 
Let's see here. Well, while you say that, the other thing that I wanted to add, and I'll look that up to confirm, is Ray Ray Armstrong also had a very nice deflection in the flat. Uh, and he obviously is one of the guys that was on the team briefly last year. And he's back in the mix competing at that linebacker position. So that's somebody, obviously, to keep close tabs of moving forward as well. Sean Chandler. Sean Chandler. Yes. There you go. Um, so he, he made a really nice interception off of the, the, the O'Malley deflection, which went off his fingertips. It was a nicely thrown ball. Uh, and... Uh, and it wound up being a pick. So those were the highlights. We did see, as you mentioned, Hernandez play some right guard and some left guard, mostly right uh, left guard, though, with the first team. Yep. That was interesting. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, which I thought was also kind of fun to watch, uh, they had him dropping in coverage. And he showed his mobility and his quickness and his athleticism again, and he was staying with guys 10, 15 yards downfield. You know, because it's OTAs and there's no contact – you're not going to see a lot of heavy blitzing because, after all, what's the point? You know, you can't you can't contact. No, it's a great you point. You can't hit anybody. So what's the why Which bother? Which is why you should work on dropping guys back in coverage. Exactly. So and and I thought Carter did a very nice job uh, in his in his drills, playing as the uh, right outside stand up linebacker. You know, again, we talk about that that position. You're going to be a stand up. Sometimes going to have a hand in the dirt. It's going to happen. But he was he was standing up today. And did a really nice job. So, uh, you know, those were some of the notes that I took away from this morning. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Let's open up the phone lines. Your thoughts as OTAs get underway here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Lloyd is in Pennsylvania. Lloyd, what's happening? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, long time no call. Well, good it's been a while for a reason. I wanted to wait until I saw, uh, like, the, I guess, all of the changes before um, I kind of made a decision on what I was looking forward to this season. And I've already seen a lot of progress, but they've taken basically the offensive line and just kind of replaced a lot of guys that were the same as what we already had. If Eric Flowers is able to make uh, the switch over the right tackle, and then, then I think the offensive line has a slight upgrade. But the big difference is going to be uh, Saquon Barkley in the running game, actually utilizing a running game that will help both kill the clock and take some heat off the wide receivers and, and tight ends. So I'm looking forward to that for next year. I would say this. If Flowers works out at right tackle and is just okay, that offensive line has gone through a major upgrade. Not just a small one, but a major upgrade. Solder, Hernandez, you know, Jones is coming back, but he should be a year better. And, and Omame, just by virtue of the fact that he, they think he's going to be durable enough to stay on the field for 16 games, and we know he's a much better run blocker than John Jerry is, I mean, you're talking about at least three spots of a significant upgrade, not even counting any ability that Flowers shows to perform better than what Bobby Hart did last year. Well, to sum it up, you're looking at three new players and then technically four players at new positions compared to last year's offense. Possibly line. four position upgrades. That's probably what we're looking at, barring any injuries or any dramatic So, uh, you know, that's yeah. more than just a slight improvement. That's going to be significant. Well, the reason why I say a slight upgrade is because last year, the way that the line was configured, I think I called in and I complained about this to you before, but um, Coach McAdoo basically uh, set up the beginning of the season to have an offensive line that was geared toward the pass. The run plays were um, few and far between, and there wasn't a lot of selection, so they were kind of predictable, and they just didn't use it that much. And as people got injured and they were forced to put other offensive linemen in, then you saw uh, more progress out of Orleans Darkwood, and he was getting those yards 
and they were being productive in the running the game, and, and then they went away from it for a little while. Well, and what you what you saw toward, toward the end of the year, what you saw was a growth in the running game when DJ Fluker found his way into the lineup. Because while Fluker was in there starting at right guard, they averaged 110 yards a game on the ground, approximately, which, quite frankly, is is adequate. You'd like it to be a little higher. You'd like it to be 120, 125. You'd love it to be 130. But 110, is that's adequate, you know, as opposed to when you're down in the 90 vicinity, you know, which is what the Giants have kind of become accustomed to the last few years. Yeah. Now, the the one thing that I was looking forward to was them resigning DJ Fluker, and I didn't expect him to start, um, given that there were going to be a lot of uh, replacements. But I don't think his contract with, C, uh, with Seattle was that prohibitive um, that we couldn't have signed him for our team at the same price. But yeah. they had different directions they wanted to go, and I get that. And yeah. I have one more point. Okay, sorry, real quick. What else you got? Um, I, I saw this... Um, this uh, special that somebody called somebody called in last week and talked about Kyle Lawletta being on a. Um, uh, there were four YouTube episodes that vary between five to seven minutes. Correct. He was with, he Kirk, was with Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I actually I even right. tweeted it out because I, I suggested that everybody should watch it. I thought it was a very interesting dialogue between the two. Right. Actually, I think you're the reason why I ended up seeing it. I think I saw episode four first. Okay. And I went back and watched them from the beginning. Yeah, episode but four this, is the one where they really get into the X's and O's, and Loletta right. is drawing up a play that he ran in college, and then Kirk is weighing in. But the other conversations are just about you know life in the NFL, and it, it was just, to me, a good conversation where you get to learn a little bit more about both quarterbacks. Right. Now, the, the funny thing is, to me, if you, if you, took a com- if you could combine both Loletta and Davis Webb into one quarterback, you've got a damn good starter. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, listen, you can say that about most guys. I'll take a little bit of him. I'll take a little bit of him. I'll have my best quarterback. I'll tell you what, yeah. Davis Webb I mean, doesn't need any help in that really, that regard, but that's just my opinion. Well, no, I, I haven't seen his footwork enough because, I mean, you guys get to see it more than we do, but it was just, in my head, combining the two. But what I'm looking forward to this year is um, with all of the additional pieces that we have on the offensive line, we have a new weapon at running back. Granted, hopefully everyone stays healthy. We got a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Everything is new. So there's plenty of people out there that are saying that the Giants are going to be like a 9, 10, 11 win team. I have to see a few things first because sure. you don't know how well, it's I think everybody job. needs to it, see it's something. It's going to take yeah. time. Well, I, Lloyd, I, I 100% agree with you and appreciate the phone call. I mean, listen, Thank we can you. sit here and speculate all you want, but I mean, we have yet to see anything with the pads on. So, I mean, to to start saying that, you know, this is a dramatic improvement, this is an area where they still need to work on, it, it, it's very hard to make those statements. I believe stage. the experts west of the Mississippi have the Giants for six and a half wins. Uh, give or take, you know, depending upon which corner of the uh, the city you're standing on. <laughs> yeah. uh, six and a half wins is what, what the, 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 the folks out there are saying. Uh, you know, and I think that certainly is a reasonable number based on what the Giants have shown to this point. They clearly improved the roster. I don't think anybody would dispute that. The question becomes, how much will it improve? How healthy will they be? And some of the thin spots that they still have need to be addressed over the next couple of months, whether or not it's guys stepping up or potentially guys being added to the mix. Let's face it, Lance, you know, 
you can't right now with any certainty tell me the 53 guys that are going to be there week one. No, not you at can't. all. I mean, listen, we talked about this even last year. Ross Cockrell was acquired right before the 53 Correct. was finalized. So there's going to be changes leading up right to week one. I, what was it, uh, two years ago they added – you know, they got rid of Jasper Brinkley. Remember, he initially made the roster. Then he wound up coming back. Yeah, because they brought in Josh Johnson. They brought in the third quarterback. Mm-hmm. So things like that, it evolves week in and week out, and day in and day out, all the way through training camp. So I'm with you there, Paul. I I think that's extremely on point. The other thing, speaking of perhaps an area of concern right now on paper, and we've talked about this a lot, the cornerback position, Pat Shermer did mention that William Gay has stood out from a leadership standpoint because what he's been doing is he's been serving as an additional member of the coaching staff Mm -hmm. where he's on the sidelines. Some of these young guys come over, and he's pointing things out based on what occurs during the course of practice. So that, I think, is encouraging because you need somebody to really steer the ship within that room considering there's so much youth and inexperience at that position behind the likes of an Eli Apple and a Janoris Jenkins. Well, you're talking about a guy who's got more than a decade in this league and has started for the bulk of that time. So he has seen every style of offense, every style of receiver, knows every trick of the trade that every type of receiver can throw out there at you. And, you know, for me... Yeah, I still think he's got some gas in his tank to play slot corner. I'm not so sure he can play boundary corner anymore. I think the Steelers pretty much kind of admitted that when they moved him inside last year, and then he didn't even play every game. But but I do think he can play slot corner effectively, especially with, with the other skills that the Giants have in the secondary if those guys play to the level of their football card. But the other thing is, and I think this is very, very important, Deshae Townsend, who – was a Giants newcomer on the consistent staff. He's the assistant DBs. Right. Was with the Steelers. And you know, you know he must have given rave reviews to William Gay, not only in his ability to perform on the field, but must have said a billion good things about him in the locker room, in the defensive backs room, and how, hey, you know what? This guy can be an extension of the coaching staff on the field. And he can help some of these guys. Look, let's not kid ourselves. Collins is still a young player. Thompson is a young player. Adams is a young player. Apple is a young player. Dante Dion, if he makes it, is a young player. Jenkins is the only really old guy in that secondary. So let's not kid ourselves. There was room for a mature guy to come in there and take the leadership reins you know, in his hands and say, I can help teach these guys some things. There was room for one yeah. of those guys. Well, and and that's why what they're seeing out of him right now as being an extension of the coaching staff is important. Absolutely. To your point, because even the majority of the starting unit in the secondary is young. They have not had a lot of experience on the field. And even a guy like Darian Thompson, who, you know, has been with the team, he's been hurt. So that has limited his exposure to being on the field with pads on. Mm -hmm. By the way, Townsend also crossed paths with Gay in Arizona. Not only did they cross paths at Pittsburgh, but Gay was on... Arizona for a year in 2012. Townsend was the assistant DB's coach uh, Mm -hmm. for that staff as well. So they have a long history, both as players together as well as coach versus player. All right, let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. AJ is in South Carolina. AJ, what's happening? Uh, uh, Thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. Um, uh, I I, I, I like what what I hear for a simple uh, undrafted free agent or Chandler. Uh, I heard you. I thought you had an interception. 
Yeah, Sean Chandler, who we were talking about earlier. Correct. And he's also a Temple guy. And Pat Shermer was asked about, you know, when he was in Philly, did he sort of monitor him? And he said he's very familiar with him going back to his days when he's with the Eagles. Let's not make uh, any uh, mistake about it, though. He's really going to have to show oh, some worth on absolutely. special teams yeah. to make the squad. Certainly a good start out here. He's shown some very nice things, but he's got a long way to go before he can be a truly NFL player. Uh, one, more, uh, one more thing for us, go. Uh, uh, who is our next shoulder of uh, uh, backup? Uh, backup and left you, tackle. I know you're starting a left of tackle. Well, I mean, that's a good question right now, and appreciate the phone call, AJ. Okay, I'm my call. You got it. I, I mean, certainly Chad Wheeler is a guy that is still in the mix, yeah. and I would probably pencil him in, Paul, as that swing guy, competing at right tackle with mm-hmm. Flowers, as well as the primary backup to Solder. I would agree with that. When they ran second-team offensive line today, it was Wheeler at right tackle and Nick Becton, a holdover veteran from last year, uh, hardly used, he was running as the left tackle, but you can be sure if they get to the regular season, Wheeler is going to be the third tackle and the swing guy who will sub for either side. 201-939-4513. Let's head back to the phone lines. Aaron is in Rochester. Aaron, what's happening? Hey, what's up, guys? How y'all doing? Long Hi, time, no doing call. well, Aaron. Uh, um, I just wanted to ask, um, I like what the guys are doing with Gettleman and um. um I like the everything they did in the off season it was tremendous. I just worried about the um, but y'all, I'm worried about the third slot of cornerback. But y'all got me a little bit okay with William Gay. And my main question I had was, um, do y'all know anything about the mini camps when they open it up for the kids for like autograph and picture day? Well, I think you're talking about training camp. You talk about training camp. Yeah, mini Aaron, camp is not open camp to is the not public. Not open to the public. So you're you're looking at training camp, which we're not going to get to until late July, early August is probably when you're going to start to see those. Days. Yeah, the Giants yeah. haven't released the schedule yet. Uh, there's a lot of talk that they're going to spend a week in Detroit prior to their preseason Ooh. game to train out there with the Lions in dual practice sessions. Now that has not been finalized nor confirmed, but that would be one less week. Uh, that they would be here practicing in East Rutherford. Uh, We do know they'll start uh, somewhere in the vicinity of the mid-20s in July. We believe, again, not confirmed, that maybe July 25th or so would probably be a good target date for them to begin practicing. But you will then have to wait until Giants.com posts the official schedule because not every one of the training camp practices is open to the public. Some of them are actually closed. Yeah because they have other events going on at the Meadowlands, which means they can't have Giants fans coming at the same time. Let's say that there's a Taylor Swift concert going on at the stadium. So, (laughs) no, it happens. It does happen. They have other events here, so they can't open it up to the fans because the parking lot becomes overcrowded. Um, I believe it. So, in any event, but be watching for it. Trust me, as soon as I find word, I'll get it out on Twitter to you. And, and one more thing, Paulie, I really would love you to consider being an offensive coordinator for us. <laughs> I, I mean, you need to you need to consider it. I mean, you you you're a guru, man. We need to see you out on that sideline someday. <laughs> well, here's the good news: I am on the sideline yeah, most of the say. time during road <laughs> games, behind a bench, going up and down between the tens. 
But no, no, I appreciate your time and your thoughts, and I thank you very much. But you know what? The lifespan of a coach and a GM, not nearly the lifespan of an announcer. So I like the seat where I am, if that's okay with you. And Aaron, he, he's, instead it. of the OC, he's the OG. I think the OG carries more weight than the OC anyway. So, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't worry about him needing the title in that department. I appreciate the phone call. All right. Yes. The honorary oh OC, but the OG when it comes to uh, our labels here. Oh, my goodness. I, I just, I'm impressed that you threw out Taylor Swift. I thought maybe you were going to go with some other artists. I mean, you could have went anywhere in the spectrum. You could have even said Bruce Springsteen's performing at MetLife Stadium. I could have done that. Taylor Swift. I'm, I'm a little surprised. I, I'm, I'm trying I'm to get. I'm impressed you're opening up your horizon well, to new music. Well, a lot yes. of young people are tuning well, into the okay. show on I'm, the web I'm or aware, on their yes. iPod, and so I'm trying to give them a young name they could recognize. Okay. All right. I, I thought maybe this was also an inkling of what you tune in during your power walk. No. No. Okay. No. Right. No. I thought maybe power, the iPod power walks, was adding a little bit more in the rotation. Power walks, folks. No. For those who really want to know. Well, we're all dying to know. You got. So, you yes. got. You. You got to get. You're going to get the Jersey Boys. Okay. For, four seasons. Old school. Yeah. You're, you're going to get Springsteen. Okay. okay. Uh, you're going to get a little Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Okay. Country. Okay. Really, really. Oh man, they're awesome. Okay. Well, everybody knows Faith Hill is my celebrity crush. Yes, you have mentioned she's, that publicly. Oh, she's she's, she's just awesome. Yes. So that that's what you usually get on no, the. Uh, not a Motown guy. I do like Motown. Motown. I do okay. like Motown, but they yeah. don't make it onto the Power Walk selection. They don't make it on. Okay, because no. you don't like the Four Tops. I think that's a nice rhythm too. I'm a I'm a big what, drifters temptations. guy. Big drifters guy. Okay. All right. Love drifters. Very nice. Right, we're learning. We're opening up. We're expanding <laughs> our horizons. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Let's head back to the line. Stas is in Washington. Stas, what's happening? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? Doing all right. How are things with you? Hi. Good, good. Hey, so check this out. So last night, I'm watching the 2007 NFC Championship with my daughter, right? And this play, I'm watching this play, and it's crazy how current, how you get conditioned as Giants fans now, because I know, obviously, we know what the outcome of this game. And I'm watching the Giants backed up on the third, uh, on their own 30-yard line, and Green Bay's in mass blitz. They're, they're, they're setting the house. I see Eli Manning shift uh, Hedgecock. Remember Hedgecock? Sure do. Yeah. Shift them over. Shift them over to the right side. Snap the ball. Green Bay sends the house at them. The giant and I and I kind of cringe like, oh, they're gonna get them, right? Because I'm used to that. And they pick up the blitz. And it, it was like I got this feeling of relief, even though I know the outcome of this game. And then Eli Manning zips the ball down the sideline, 15 yards, hits Blackson Burris to get the first down. And I started thinking to myself, the real X factor in our O line right now is Omame. Because if we got, we know what we got in a soldier, you know, I hope we know what we got with Willie Hernandez. We know that our center is going to be serviceable. We, but if, if all we have to worry about is a right tackle, we can support that. Well, we, he's good. If, if there's only one, if our right tackle is, is less than serviceable, let's just say whoever it is. You can always shift protection one way if you only have to worry yeah, about you can. Well, one way. Again, you're going to be and, a, and a strong side right formation anyway, which means he's going to have tight end help on that side most of the time. Exactly. And I started thinking, like, you know, Omame is the X factor. If, if Omame comes out and just holds his own at guard and we don't have to worry about him being the help for the right tackle and he can make sure that he's sure, uh, ensuring that the pocket doesn't close up on, on Eli Manning, because it was a thing of beauty just to see Eli Manning stand tall back there and be able to plant his feet and drive a ball down. Yeah. Isn't it am- I just haven't seen that in a long time. Isn't it and- amazing how young Eli Manning looks when he has pass protection? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that was also 11 years ago, though. Thought, so, you know, I so mean, my- let's put things I, in perspective I, I, a little. 
You get right, the point. Oh, no, like, the X Factor has to be Omame because I feel like from left to right, we kind of know what we got. Omame would be the one person that I'd say to me, it, it's a, I think it's a good it's a, it's a good pickup, but it's to be seen, like, you know, because, you know, he was also replaced, you know? And so I look at it like, okay, if he comes out and performs at, at, an, at, a, at a decent level, we should be pretty solid having, you know, you know making with, with having Saquon in the backfield and making safeties have to respect that. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel like, like this guy, Saquon Barkley, should get about 1,800 complete yards. Understand, like yards. understand that I want to make this clear to anybody who doesn't uh, have awareness of this. Yeah, Omame was, was allowed to go free agent by the Jaguars, but they replaced him with the highest paid guard in football and an all-pro in Norwell. And yeah. so that is not at all to demean or disrespect Omame because Omame is an upgrade for the Giants, but Norwell is an upgrade over Omame. And I think everybody would understand that. I mean, just because, oh, I, you know, I he do. doesn't match up I'm to Norwell doesn't mean he's, he's not any good. I, no, no, I agree. I'm more concerned that he was an upgrade and he was a left guard and now he's going to be more than likely going he's to right guard. Some right he's played some right guard. Well, he started he's played off, some right guard. Yeah, he started off his career as a right guard and then he moved to oh, left see, guard with Jacksonville. Aware. So he's yes. got experience on both sides. So they can okay, experiment, yeah, moving him to both sides, which they are going to do during the course of OTAs and training camp. I mean, to me, I think the X Factor, Stas, is more just the stability on the right side of the offensive line. Because if you go back to years past, you know, you've had movement with Jerry and Fluker and Hart, where if they could get to a point, Paul, where you've got Omame or Hernandez, whoever they solidify in that right guard spot, mm-hmm. playing next to Eric Flowers or Wheeler, whoever wins that right tackle spot, and it's consistent and there's no injuries, that to me is going to be huge for the Giants because it's really been a game of musical chairs over the last few years. You know, here's the, the one problem, and of course reality does not allow this to be a variable anymore. I remember Carl Nelson back in the 80s said to me, and this was before free agency and all of the, 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 the movement that we have in the league today, he said, you know, it really takes almost into your third season as an offensive line unit for those five to really develop airtight, crazy glue kind of chemistry. Well, guess what? In but today's that, NFL, you can't do that anymore. It's hard. You don't have the you gotta do exactly. it. You yeah. got to do it in like a month. Yeah. You know, you got a month of training camp, and then guess what? Week one is here, and you better be ready to play. And, and, and not only that, you know, Paul, it's not, even, it's not just a month of training camp. They got a diluted training camp. Yes. Back in the day, yes. your training camp at least gave you real physicality. You could scrimmage against yourself and go full-on, full-contact. And, and work on those techniques. Right now, they're punching a ball. Well, and that's, and that's why, Stas, that's why I'm saying the health of the right side of the offensive line is going to be so important because think about all the reps you get in games. That's where you build the chemistry because mm-hmm. you're not doing a lot of it during the week and you're certainly not doing a lot of it during training camp. We haven't talked to Coach yeah. Shermer about this because it's too early to do so, but I would invite you to pay very close attention to how many snaps – the starting five offensive linemen get during the four preseason games. Because in my mind, they should get more than what you normally might consider giving them. Yeah, I know. I think that's certainly a valid point, especially, you know, you're going to look to give the quarterbacks behind Eli Manning as much experience. You might as well put them behind Mm -hmm. an offensive line that could give them them a chance to survey the field and throw the ball. Yeah. Eli's always been a heady quarterback. Like, he's never been, oh, oh, I got wheels. Eli got... 
he he can outthink you, but you got to protect him. And that's always like I've always been frustrated when you hear these commentators. Oh, Eli Manning's on decline. Eli Manning's this, and I'm like, well, if you look at every other stat, he's also hit all the time. And he listen for Eli Manning to get hit as much as he's getting hit, and still have the second fastest or third fastest release of the ball. That's that's alarming. Like I don't, you got to really look at these factors. Protect that man, and I know for a fact. He still has about three years in him. Easy if you give him protection. Well, that's the idea. Anyway, guys, All right, Stas, appreciate the, the phone call. Thanks. You got it. Thanks so much for weighing Good in. Good call. We've talked about this time and time again. The factors around the quarterback are going to influence the quarterback's production. And Eli Manning is not unique, Paul, because if you've watched Phillip Rivers in years where he hasn't had an offensive line, the offensive production has also diminished. Joe Flacco is an example when Ray Rice was lost and their offensive line was banged up. Ryan Tannehill, when the Dolphins gave him a good offensive line, he actually was productive. When he didn't have an offensive line, he was a completely different quarterback. It sounds so simplistic to say if the quarterback doesn't have protection or if he doesn't have the receivers or if he doesn't have the running game, you know, what is he supposed to do back there? Well, what makes the guys really terrific and what has made Eli terrific is that in most cases, when maybe one of those areas wasn't as up to snuff as it needed to be, he could still function and help you win games and be competitive. But what we've seen these last few years is a whole conglomeration of things falling apart around him. Not just one. Of course. You know, yeah. not just, oh, pass pro wasn't very good. Not just, oh, isolated, the running game wasn't very good. Not so isolated, they didn't have a lot of good receivers. No. All of these things together around Eli have basically created a perfect storm to do everything to sabotage him, if you will. And to be honest, it's it's really to his credit that he has not allowed the quarterback play to drop as much as the other factors probably should have, to be honest well, with you. Well, and listen, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. Aaron Rodgers, though, is pretty much the lone exception because he's been playing with an offensive line that has been far from stable over yeah. the course of his career. But the reason unique why— Unique player. Yeah, he's a unique player, exactly. The guy's mobility enables him to extend plays. He can create on his own. And he also probably, in my opinion, throws the ball from one side of the field to the other more effectively than any other quarterback in the league. Incredible. So when you could do Incredible that, arm. yeah, you can patch up those holes and you don't make them seem as bigger as perhaps they are on a weekly basis. And, and I haven't looked at the drop counts over the last few years, but it just seems to me the Packers are one of those teams that doesn't usually drop the ball very much. Well, he's Their had, guys will hold on to it. And he's had the blessing of being surrounded by a lot of good polished wide receivers. Even the young guys who have come in, uh, Devontae Adams, for example, exactly. has made a name for himself fairly quickly. So you combine that, tight end play two has helped him as well. Let's head back to the phone lines, and uh, unfortunately we got to turn to Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's happening? Hi, Charlie. <laughs> Hey guys, how we doing, hey, Charlie? Hey, look, um, I, I'm still really concerned about the offensive line. Stunning, stunning development the... <laughs> out of Charlie and Portland. Did not see that coming. Blown away by that statement. <laughs> for the simple reason we have no depth. God forbid, if Soldier goes down for two or three games, what do we got? What do we got? Charlie, we I don't think, have any depth. I think you're we being short-sighted have... here because I agree with you at tackle right now. If Flowers works out, then Wheeler's the third guy, and, and that could potentially still be okay. But where it gets really slight, okay, is the fourth tackle. So if Flowers doesn't work out and Wheeler has to start, now Nick Beckton's your next guy up. I understand your concern there. 
okay? But they've got plenty of guards, and they've got some centers here. So I don't, I don't necessarily think depth around the entire line is as big a deal as you think it is. Yeah, plus, I mean, well, Jerry, I for example, has starting experience. Tackle. Well, then just say tackle. Say depth of tackle okay. concerns okay, you. Tackle. Don't say okay, offensive I'll line. Say well, and Charlie, in fairness, listen, we've had this conversation <laughs> in previous years because you've made the same point. And maybe there was more validity in previous seasons because there wasn't nearly as much depth. But this is what I've told you. I've said, look across the NFL. You show me every team that's got a starting caliber left tackle as the backup so when the starter goes down, they feel fine that everything is going to be smooth See, Charlie's spoiled, though, because I remember the days when Bob Whitfield was here, Sean Andrews was here, Sean Locklear was yeah, here. a lot of guys would start Boy, it was great to have those guys as the swing tackle. That, right. that doesn't happen in this league anymore. Yeah, but th- but what I'm yeah, saying is to, it's not just the Giants. A it's a lot of teams. We have to bring in a vet for this mandatory. How about, I want to ask you one thing, Paul. You know, is we supposedly assigned this guy named Bunch from the Arena Football League. He's a guy who had a lot of potential. He's never lived up to it. He's like, you know, 6'6". Six, six, yeah, let me look at his pounds. vitals. Yeah, He's let me look guard, at his vitals. Yeah, out of UCLA. Yeah. So have you been watching him? Have you seen anything from this guy? Do you think he has some potential to, to fill in as a swing tackle or or as a backup with some good depth? Or have you not seen enough yet I, to know? I did not even watch him today, to be perfectly frank with you. I was watching okay. too many other things to really yeah. give him a look. Um, they listed him at 6'5", 320. Okay, right. that's, that's what they're listing him as. Uh, they also are listing him as as Lance just said, as a guard. They're not listing him as a, a tackle. Guard? We yeah. got so many guards, but God. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm not going to disagree Jeez. with that point, Charlie. Well, they had Adam Bisnavati, and then he was waived. Detroit claimed him because yeah. you, were, you were looking at Bisnavati, Wheeler, Flowers, and then remember, you know, Flowers can still serve as also a backup at left tackle, too. He's an option given he played there. You can't cross that off. Right. You know, just Look, like Justin Pugh was moved. Well, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm not saying that. that it's in the ideal You're situation. You're going to give this man you. a heart attack. Well, Will you not talk about flowers at left tackle, That Lance? would be my goal on this program, to give him a heart attack. That's not okay. nice. Well, I know, but you know what? I can't hold myself back from the zingers. But anyway, getting back to the point at hand here. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there is some concern because there's not a whole lot of substance behind Nate Solder in terms of just pure experience. Even a guy like Wheeler. I mean, Wheeler hasn't had a lot of on-field game experience. So I I get where you're coming from, Charlie. That's why they've got to start evaluating these guys once you get to training camp and see what they could provide. Charlie, trust me, Gettleman is a guy who loves the trenches. You know that. You see that he's already done what he could to improve the team to this point. Don't you think his radar is out there right now that if there's any veteran who pops free – who he thinks can help, he's going to talk to that guy. you got to believe that. Well, Charlie, I'm surprised you went through this entire conversation without naming a guy that's clearly on the market right now that plays tackle. There's really not. Well, no, any know, play, you know, know, there's, there's a guy a on the market that's played left tackle, and he's suited up. There you go. Just see? waiting to come in. That's just waiting to come in. Put, put that one aside. <laughs> put that one aside. You must admit the list is sparse. Well, I'm, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm surprised. Why'd you, why'd you shortchange him? He actually now has three Super Bowls. I can't believe. Now look, Char- Charlie's not even. Charlie's now cutting him short on he the ring. He got rings. a ring with the Eagles. He got another ring. You're right, Charlie. You could boost his resume now. What's wrong with him? No, he didn't get two with the Giants. He wasn't. He didn't get two oh seven. 
he wasn't with the Giants in 2007, was he? Are we shortchanging him? No, okay. No, no, you, no. He, you, you're fooling me. You're right. I'm getting caught right, up so in him. Tr- I'm, I'm getting caught up in him trying to zing you. He Correct. came right yes, after 2009. that. 2009, he was not on he the came after that. So he's got, he's got two. I thought Charlie had mentioned two with the Giants. That's why. I no, thought he no, was no, overlooking. Oh, you sucked me into yes. that. Well, okay. Now <laughs> Go ahead, Charlie. I, is that all? Hey, that's you know, all. all I'm saying is, hey, Paul, if you get to ask Sturmer a question or Gettleman a question, ask him, what do you think of your depth on your tackle situation? Just ask him that. Okay. It's kind of early to tell, don't you think? Well, I, don't I mean, know. I appreciate your concern, but until these guys actually get out and start hitting, I mean, any of these fellas who we don't know about, we're not going to know about until they hit. Yeah, well, at least maybe he'll say, well, I really like this guy or this guy or that guy. All right, we'll see what we can do. Confidence in, like, Howell or... Well, and Howell, I'm glad you brought him up because I was literally... I was just perusing the roster and I wanted to bring him up because he's one of those undrafted guys. Very raw. No, raw, but... Very raw. I, I think intriguing just to see what he can do. Sometimes a guy will surprise you. And I'm not making bold declarations here, but remember, Andrew Norwell was a guy in Carolina... That nobody knew anything Realistically about. speaking, okay. I yeah. think he's going to need at least a year of coaching before he's got a chance to really do anything. He needs a lot of work. And that's not to disparage him in any way. But it looked to me like at Missouri, when he, by the way, was a platoon tackle his last season at Missouri, uh, it didn't look like they did a lot to prepare him for the NFL. Let's well, just say that. Well, but let's say this. If he is a year away of coaching, then that means that on May 21st, 2019, when Charlie calls up with the same concern, <laughs> your answer could be Howell's ready to go. Maybe. Okay? So there is a silver lining to this Thank conversation. Thank you, Charlie. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Charlie. Yes. Okay, guys. Bye. Absolutely. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. On Twitter, let's uh, take a look at Twitter also because I know there's a lot of you that weigh in on the conversation. You have an opportunity to get to the for folks. those who don't know, yes. Hal's coming out of Missouri, six eight, three hundred and thirty pounds. He is quite the physical specimen, you know. In in, in a way, oh, he's a, a little, presence, little yeah. softer, but he's got the similar build and makeup to Solder. To be perfectly frank with you. But, again, he was a platoon tackle. He started as a junior and was a platoon tackle last year at Missouri. And it just looked like he needs a tremendous amount of coaching and technique work. And I just don't think realistically you can expect to get him up to snuff in just a couple of months, especially given that the CBA won't allow them to do much. Well, I mean, listen, clearly Flowers and Wheeler are the two options as backups at left tackle, as it stands right There's now. There's no question. Without even seeing anything on the field in padding right now. I mean, those are your number two options. Yeah. And okay. then you see what you can get beyond that out of some of these other young guys. But if you just look over the roster right now, Paul, and you just look at all the tackles, it's Solder, it's Wheeler, it's Flowers, and it's Howell. I mean, those are all four of the guys that are listed at tackle. Everybody else is, is mainly an interior offensive Well, Nick, Nick Becton was Nick running Becton, second team left tackle this morning. Now, I know Becton has seen work. I'm just curious because on the roster here, they have Becton. I'm looking at the one online. If you find it quicker on your sheet, because I don't believe that they are listing him. They are listing as a him strict, strictly as OL, offensive line. Okay, so sort of a generic label. At 6'6, 322. Why we're probably going to see him, I would say, at guard, maybe end tackle as they continue to line him up. So he's one of those guys that falls into the tweener, the in between range. But everybody else, for the most part, maybe you could flip flop him at guard. You can move somebody maybe over to center. 
but not a lot of these guards, to me, have the experience that you're going to shift no, them all the no. way outside the tackle. The interior offensive line, there are there are enough of guys here who I believe can adequately fill out the depth chart. It is the tackle spot that's thin. Charlie's right about that, but you got to be specific when you when you make the comment. So I think we got him squared away. Absolutely. There's a, another question on Twitter here from at NYGman182 about the joint practices between the Lions and the Giants, and I know you alluded to it. It's pure speculation at this point. There nothing no has been confirmed nothing. or solidified. Correct. But if you just want to look at a comparison, remember when Tom Coughlin was still here, they did a joint Giants-Bengals practice. Remember yes. when they went out to Cincy? So that was done not too long ago, and that was built in in connection to a preseason game. By the way, the Detroit preseason game is out in Michigan on August the 17th, so it would be, be that week leading into that game. Uh, the Lions have been very public and vocal about saying they are looking for a preseason practice partner for one of their preseason weeks. Again, the Giants are, are, are not uh, have not finalized anything that they're going to be the team. The Lions, though, have been very public about saying they'd like somebody, which is what I think has led to a lot of speculation because, obviously, if you're going to have somebody in, it's got to be a home preseason game. And, and that is a home preseason game for Detroit. And it would also be two teams that have brand-new head coaches, so they're looking for some different And don't looks. play each other during the regular season. Yep. So it makes sense considering what we've seen across the NFL. I think, to me, it's been a trend. I mean, you've got a number of them popping up yeah. every single offseason where teams just feel like they could get more out of going up against other players than their own players. You get tired of doing Giants that. Giants over the years, I've seen them. Well, they did it with they the Jets the Jets. one year up at Albany, and yes. the Jets caused trouble, yes. which didn't surprise me. Uh, they also had the Bengals, as you mentioned, in Cincinnati. Many years ago, they were up at Bryant University in Rhode Island and had a dual practice with Belichick and the Patriots. Uh, that goes back quite a ways. Um, but those are the only three dual practice sessions that I can remember in recent memory uh, between the Giants and, and other teams. Uh, maybe, as you say, uh, as it becomes more popular, the Giants will get involved more invo you know, in, into that deal. Let's head back to the phone lines. Victor is in Florida. Vic, what's happening? How are you guys doing? Uh, what's up, Vic? Actually, this is a question for Paul because he's an old-timer. So, so am I. I'm happy that the Giants uh, drafted uh, all these uh, top players, which I think they will improve the Giants tremendously. But, Paul, you remember Spider Lockhart, Love right? him. Number 43. Okay, listen to this. In 1980, I met him, and I spoke to him in Mama Leone in New York. You remember where they I don't know if they're still there or not. Okay. And he told me, uh, we were talking about when the hell are the Giants ever going to get into to the Super Bowl? Because, you know, I was, you know, really uh, waiting for them to do something good. Yeah. And he says, let me tell you something. Within the next five years, they're going to win the first Super Bowl. And before you go, they'll win six. And that marked my words, and I shook his hand, he gave me his autograph, and I said, bye-bye, Spider, I love you. So I figured I'll let you guys know that. Yeah, okay, Paul? The, the, well, the shame of it is, Vic, uh, Spider came down with cancer and passed away uh, during the 1986 calendar year, so he never got to see them win Super Bowl XXI against the Denver Broncos. Um, I know. I never got a chance to meet Spider. 
and I'll be honest with you, I'm sad about it because I hear what a great guy he was, a legend around these Giants parts for sure. Uh, and, and any of his teammates who I've come to become friendly with over the years all tell me just the finest things for him. That's why it was George Martin, the defensive end, yeah. who suggested yes. to the Giants yes. at the time in 86, can we memorialize him with the spider patch on the shoulder? Which of yes, course you know, right. you, you, which you know anyway, is on all the guys, photos from the Super Bowl. Thank you for taking my call. I love you guys. I love your show, and and uh, I hope the Giants will at least. I'll tell you what, they'll make the playoff this year, but next year Super Bowl. That's my take. All, all right, Vic. Bye bye. Appreciate it. Lockhart was a uh, spindly, wiry, undersized free safety who made uh, several uh, All-Pro uh, Pro Bowl teams. I, 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 in those days, I can't remember if they differentiated All-Pro and Pro Bowl. I but he, it up. he was on, like, I believe, three All-Pro uh, Pro Bowl teams. Not All-Pros, but three Pro Bowl teams. Um, heck of a player. And, and the thing about it was they called him Spider because he was so thin and wiry and spindly. But he hit. I mean, you would have loved him, Lance, because, you know, the diminutive frame. <laughs> but he stuck his nose in there, man. He went after guys. Never, never afraid at all. I mean, I, I watched him as a player, yeah. but never, never got to meet him, unfortunately, and that's that's a regret. Two Pro Bowls. Two. Look it up. Yep. Okay. Played for the Giants from 1965 to 1975. Mm -hmm. Third round pick, thirteenth round pick. Yes. Excuse me. In 1965, that was when the draft was about 17 years it took. Tell me about to, it. <laughs> to get through. Yeah. Anyway. Spider, a heck of a player, though. Heck of a player. I mean, during those that that let's face it, that's a very dim period in Giants history, and he was one of the few guys who you could hang your hat on because he was going to go all out every play, every game, and was really fun to watch. Yeah, he was a pro bowler for the second time in 1968. That was his second time. So, really, he became a pro bowler immediately because if he came into the league in 1965, Paul, <laughs> and his second pro bowl appearance was 68, I mean, right out of the gates, he made an impact. He was, And even after that, he was still a very good player. You know, and in fact, I, I, you could probably argue that, I mean, I, I, again, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. He was rather diminutive, and, and that's why he eventually retired when he did. He probably had some more time left. I would love to have seen him play at Giant Stadium in 76 when he opened the new building. He never made it to that point. He retired after the 75 season, which was the one year the Giants played at Chase Stadium. Never got to play uh, at, at the Meadowlands. Neither did uh, Ron Johnson who was the superstar running back, twice 1,000-yard rusher during those times. 75, Shea Stadium was his last season, but he had bad knees. He was badly beaten up and, and was just injured to the point where he had had enough. Uh, Spider, Spider probably had some more mileage in him. First Pro Bowl appearance was 1966, as I'm looking at it. So second season in the league, he immediately made the Pro Bowl. It makes you think of what Landon Collins has done so early in his career. Mm. After uh, he Different arrived. body type, for sure. Yeah, different body type, <laughs> but I'm just saying the immediacy of the impact uh, across the roster. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also... Weigh in on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. If you can't get to the phone, certainly we want to hear from you on Twitter as we are recapping OTA number one. In case you're just joining us, Pat Shermer did address the media earlier today, and we went over some highlights earlier in the program. Eli Apple and Patrick Omame were scheduled to be meeting with the media as we speak right now. And Jonathan Stewart also addressed the media, Paul, and we had an opportunity to hear him mm -hmm. before we had to come in for the show. And, you know, speaking of durability and how many more years and mileage you get out of him, he was asked a lot of questions about 
Well, you're 31 years old right now, and you played with the Panthers. You split time with D'Angelo Williams. You know, what does he think he has left in the tank? And, you know, he feels by splitting time with Carolina and not having the lead back role every single year, that that will at least allow him to smoothly transition in with the likes of Wayne Gallman as well as Saquon Barkley here with the Giants. Well, you're talking about a guy who, again, like William Gay, he's got the better part of a decade in the NFL, has seen it all, has been a primary back, has rushed for 1,000 yards in this league before, yes. twice in his first couple of years, ran for 10 touchdowns in a given season. In fact, even the last few years, with He's the Panthers, yeah. he was a touchdown uh, gobbler, if you will. With McCaffrey. So, you know, he, he's, he has performed in a number of different roles for a Carolina team that has had some pretty productive offenses. And certainly, Dave Gettleman understood not only what he could bring to the table on the field, but what he could bring to the locker room. And I, I said the first day when he was signed, he will be a good character guy for the young fellas in that running back's room, and I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, and they could use that because, I mean, Wayne Goldman's young and Barkley just arrived. So, remember, Paul Perkins And there's no more Green and no more Darkwell. Yeah. So you take that into consideration. Stewart fits that role, at least, regardless no of how question. you utilize him on the field. And to your point, I mean, you're talking about a running back who's had at least six touchdowns in each of the last three seasons with Carolina. He had nine in 2016. And can we not forget, Saquon Barkley is coming off a year where he had a bunch of touches at Penn State. Okay? Everybody thinks he's going to put up great numbers, and I, I understand that. So do I. I know the Giants certainly hope he does. But... The guy's coming into his rookie NFL season. How many rookies have you seen in your short career covering the National Football League that comes the 10th, 12th week of the season, they hit that rookie wall? I mean, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. We played 12 games in college. We didn't really have an offseason because we trained like hell for the combine. Then we got drafted. Then we had to go through whatever we had to go through to get coached up. And now we're playing games. All of a sudden, it gets to the 10th, 12th week of the, of the NFL season. A lot of these rookies, their tongue is hanging down to the floor. So if Stewart can take some of that load off, especially some of the, the blood and guts smashing between the tackles and short yardage and along the goal line, if he can take some of that away from Barkley, that might allow Barkley to preserve a little juice for 16 games. Well, and in today's NFL, it's very rare that you have one back that does have the, sure. all the heavy lifting. So, you know, the, the Giants, obviously, it's a copycat league. They're looking around the league. I, I think in an ideal well, circumstance. Well, Goldman, too, can help. Yeah, Goldman can help as well. But, you know, the model right now, I think, is what the Saints did last year, Paul, with Mark Ingram and then drafting Alvin Kamara. You know, that, to me, is the ideal situation for most teams because, number one, they're two different backs. Okay, their style of running mm -hmm. is different. Yep. So that is a perfect compliment. And then number two, you saw that both guys made the Pro Bowl, which that was unique, and that doesn't mean that you have to have two guys make the Pro Bowl, but you've had production when both of them were on the field, regardless of the different formations. And when you can mix and match running backs and the production stays the same, you're doing something right. And that's where I think the Giants want to get, that whether it's Goldman, whether it's Stewart, whether it's Barkley, the defense is on its toes because they don't necessarily know what the play is going to be. Right. And all of those guys can pick and choose whatever options they have based on the play call. And that's where I think the Giants want to get. So, you know, Stewart to me is not just this guy that's going to be a teacher in the room, you know, giving direction in film study. I still think he could be a red zone threat and somebody that, like you said, even if he takes three or four carries away from each guy, hey, you know what? Over the course of the season, that adds up. 
Well, let me put it to you this way. Stewart can catch the ball out of the backfield. It's not like he has he's not the, utilized to do that as much, not as but much, he has the skill set to do that. But he's got the skill yeah. set to do it, and he certainly knows how to pass protect. Okay? But look at the Giants right now. You don't know on any given play if Ingram's going to be a tight end or a wide receiver. So that can be a little bit of a matchup problem for a defensive coordinator. I don't think you know on any given play what Barkley's going to do. Is Barkley going to carry the ball, or is he going to wind up going out to catch a pass? Little threat. In fact, quite frankly, is he going downfield on a wheel route? Don't don't even consider that, oh, if he doesn't run it, it's going to be a little check down or no, a little dump off. No, he can go down. So th- that's downfield. That's a big deal. So, you know, you're looking at the potential of Ingram and Barkley at any given play. If they're both on the field at the same time, coordinators and players are going to have to figure out what are they doing on this play? Are they tight ends and running backs or are they wide receivers? I and mean, I think then I would add that's Goldman. good Goldman too. Goldman I think, can has catch the, the potential ball as well. Yeah, now he's got to hold on to it a little bit yeah, better. But there's potential there. But there's potential there. And so again, the more versatility that you have in the skill positions, in particular, the more headaches you give to the defense. Nick is in Bayville. Nick, what's happening? Hey, how you doing, guys? Hi, doing well, Nick. Hey, I don't. I want to backpedal just a little bit. I caught you guys talking about Eli earlier. I'm a huge Eli supporter. I absolutely have nothing but love for him. Um, I wanna, I wanna bring it back. I could, when they did an interview with Snacks, uh, I saw where Snacks kind of compared him to LeBron. I don't know if you guys saw that. I don't remember. I, I did seeing not it. see that. Yeah. No, he he kind of went on a comparison that you know, it's almost it, it doesn't matter what Eli what the what numbers Eli puts up. Now, Eli put up numbers, and they could be all right numbers, but for some other quarterback, for instance, you know, Dak or somebody else, they're phenomenal numbers. He did a great job this season. But when it comes to Eli, uh, he did okay. They're just all right numbers. Well, I mean, go ahead. I kind of hate how that, you know, like, it's almost like, I I understand it's expected of Eli because of, you know, I, I like to say his caliber, but... It's kind of like no matter what the guy does, like what does he have to do to kind of be looked at as, you know, a great quarterback? Well, I think it comes it down. Depend, it depends on who you're talking to. To be perfectly honest, only foolish people don't look at Eli Manning as a great quarterback. Those opinions are irrelevant and don't matter because they don't know what they're talking about. The guy's won two MVPs in the Super Bowl. Okay, what more do you more. want? Well, and I, and I think, I, exactly. but, and that's kind of what Snacks was saying in this interview. It was on. I, I, I might have been on like first take with uh, Skip and Shannon or something, but he was just saying, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of like, like same thing with LeBron. You know, he puts up great numbers, and it's it's yeah, it's it's not really, you know, it wasn't great because it was LeBron. But if it was anybody else. They're phenomenal numbers, and that's how I kind of feel about Eli. Well, but I, I, I mean, I the think, guy can carry a team on his back. Well, I, and it's like, I mean, I, I think it's a little different with LeBron too because of the, the right. whole goat debate. I mean, nobody's making a claim that Eli Manning's the greatest quarterback of all time. So, I mean, the standards are a little bit different. I, I don't think the criticism is necessarily the same, 
But what I would say is, you know, with Eli Manning and any other quarterback in this league, Nick, you're judged based on the production of the entire offense because the quarterback shoulders so much of the load. So last season in particular, you know, it's not just Eli. I mean, everybody's numbers were down across the board. And part of that was because they had major injuries to key positions and key players. But if you do look at Eli Manning's numbers last season, I don't think it's crazy for people to not necessarily crown him given the fact that, I mean... He had thrown for over 4,000 yards. If you just look at him from a statistical standpoint, he had thrown for at least 4,000 yards in each of the previous three seasons. He only had just below 3,500 last season. He had 19 touchdown passes when each of the three previous seasons he had at least 26. So, I mean, the numbers statistically were down last year. I mean, to me, it's not crazy to say, you know, well, Eli shouldn't be considered okay. statistically a top five guy. Here's the thing. Year. Here's the thing. Okay, I understand his point, and I'm totally on board with his point, but he is also right. Eli Manning does not statistically put up phenomenal numbers, and I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. It's thanks to your analytics people and your fantasy football people why Eli Manning does not get the credit he deserves because he is not a fantasy football quarterback, and if you're playing fantasy football, Nick, we're gonna let you, you, go on that you shouldn't draft him. Okay? Yeah. If you want to win a football game, especially a big football game in the postseason, you want Eli Manning on your team. But if you're trying to win FanDuel or one of those fantasy games, you don't want Eli Manning. But see, the entire world is so enamored with fantasy football and with analytics people that they don't give credit where it's due. Let me tell you something. Football Perspective put out a tweet the other day. They said after a down 2017, Eli Manning now has a 65.1 era-adjusted career passing rating, the same as Drew Bledsoe and Jim Plunkett. And I said to myself, okay, so Bledsoe and Plunkett, you want to equate Eli Manning to those two guys? Yeah, Eli Manning's won two Super Bowl MVPs. Those guys didn't. So why did you get off the comparison? It's ridiculous. Well, Case closed. I think statistics don't tell the whole story. Of course they That's don't. That's the problem. And statistics don't tell the whole story in any sport. Football's not unique. And, and here's the perfect example. Phil Simms well, did not have awesome stats either. Phil Simms is a borderline Hall of Famer. Eli is a Hall of Famer. In my mind, I'm sorry. He's going. I'm not going to argue with anybody on that. It's a done deal. And Sims is a borderline Hall of Famer. And the only reason Sims isn't getting in is because his stats don't indicate it. Phil did not have gaudy stats. But if you know anything about football and you watch the guy play every single weekend, you know Phil Sims absolutely deserves much stronger consideration than he's given. Well, and I wanted to give out a perfect statistic as to why the stat doesn't tell the whole story. I, I believe I'm right with the year, Paul. 2010, when Eli had 25 interceptions, wasn't that the year where there were at least three or four off of deflections of wide receivers' hands, if memory serves me correct? I, I don't know if you, off the top of your head, remember that. I'm just, I think, I believe it was 2010, because 13, he had 27, but I don't think it was 2013. I believe it was a little bit earlier in his career. And 2010, I distinctly remember... 25 interceptions, and most people are going to look at that number, they're going to be like, well, 25 interceptions is high, and it is a high number. But if you watched all the games, you would remember, yeah, well, if Eli's throwing it to a wide receiver and it's right where the wide receiver's hands are and it goes off the fingertips of the wide receiver, is that okay. because of a bad decision on the quarterback or is that because of a game situation? In 2013, yeah. Eli threw 27 picks. Yeah. I remember doing film study on those picks, okay? Nine of them were because either Reuben Randall failed to run the right route, had the ball deflected off his hands, 
or he just stood there and didn't fight for the ball and let the defensive back have it. Nine of the 27. Well, that's why you have to know the scenarios. You have to watch the game and understand the game. You can't just look at the numbers, which is what fantasy folks do and what analytics people do. And there are guys that certainly earn a reputation because of their high-passing numbers, and more often than not, those quarterbacks are very good. I'm not saying that stats are completely misleading, but I think if you're going to evaluate a guy over the course of his career, you really have had to have watched some of those games and seen how those games developed and played out to get a better feel for what the quarterback does. So that is going to wrap up today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll be up and running each and every day through Thursday this week because it is Memorial Day weekend holiday, Mm -hmm. so there will be no show on Friday, but we'll have one Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at noon Eastern. At Giants.com, we'll have full coverage of all press conference from today's OTA. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.